I just pray, especially at this time, for the church worldwide, those churches and places that we've perhaps never even heard of, those countries, those places we um, hold up that are under pressure, persecuted, war-torn, those places, those churches that love you and serve you in extremely hard places. Be with them. We pray for our church here. We pray for your church in this country. We pray, Lord, Spirit of God, be with us. Grow us. Make us face outwards, not inwards. I pray that these tithes, these offerings, these monies will help us at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to hand over to Mr. Coote Senior now. Is it your last Sunday with us too, isn't it? Okay. It's great to have you guys here. Um, Maureen hasn't been very well, eh? And she's just come right and she's going home. So can I pray for you before you start off and pray for Maureen as well? Thank you, Lord, that we've had John and Maureen amongst us. Just pray for Maureen's health at this time. Jesus, your healing hand on her. And we also pray for the words John has to bring to us this morning. Um, May it speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm? Should have been. I am now? Yep, you're great. Good. At this point, we'd normally say, let us pray. Why? 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 Well, that's, that's, yeah, that debates the point, though. Why? Why would you expect the minister to pray and lead you in prayer? <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to make you think. And, and get you start to feed back to me. Uh, yep. Mm. Yes. Yes, that's a, a good answer. Yes. It's easier for you than me. <laughs> yes, yes, I've been there and done that, yes. <laughs> yeah. So... What is prayer is the question we were given. And uh, just before I walked down from Mike and Robin's home down here this morning, I received a text message. It was from a person called Neil Livingston who lives in Invercargill. For six years he was my pastoral supervisor. All ministers have to have one. And he was my pastoral supervisor. And I've been retired from there. I've had another parish since then, or two parishes, and retired. 
and he still, every week, prays for me. When he was appointed to look after me, he refused to take any payment for doing so, and he has that commitment every week, every Sunday morning, I get a prayer and a passage of scripture and sometimes some words from him. And I think that's a beautiful example of the support we can give to others. When he finished in that role, as appointed to it, I expected the emails to stop. Every Sunday now, I look forward to them. I wonder what he's going to say. He doesn't know I'm here today. Uh, We don't communicate about those things. He just carries on doing the job that he's done. That is commitment to prayer. That is also the commitment of someone who believes that prayer works. And he probably says, yes, well, you're still on the straight and narrow. John, it's working. I've kept you out of trouble. (laughs) What is prayer? I suspect that in this world there's about 7 billion people will pray at some time this year. A lot of them won't really know who or what they're praying to but they will have some hope that someone might be able to bail them out of their difficulties. And lots of people use prayer in that way. And some people get an answer to their prayer, don't they? They're bailed out of their difficulties and they come to acknowledge God and Jesus Christ in particular as the one who's answering their prayers. So what is prayer? Can you remember what was on the screen a few moments ago? Pouring out our hearts. When did any of you stand up in front of a group of people like this and pour out your heart? I suspect you're a bit like me and you give a very carefully edited version. We only tend to say those things that we think people might want to hear or need to hear and probably to paint ourselves usually not quite so dark as we actually are and occasionally we go the other way and we make things a lot worse than they actually are. But how good... That's that's my insulin pump talking to me, and I'm sorry, I can't turn it off, except I'd have to take it off my body, and then I would have no insulin. So sorry about that. It's just a little bit out of order at the moment. So, we, we have this need to talk, we have this need to to pray, to pour out our hearts. To what degree do you expect to answer? To what degree 
Do you expect an answer? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's actually jumped a bit ahead of me, but that's all right. Yes. Yeah. We'll now latch on to that Holy Spirit part. You know, how many of you have ever wanted to pray and found that you're struggling? Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. God knows that. And he gave us a gift to help. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yet, for most of us, we struggle on, we get feeling of despair and hopelessness and all the rest, and we get in a bigger mess before we think about crying out and saying, help me to pray. Hmm. We'll come back to that in a little while. But we'll move on to our next slide. I think we're two on from there. Prayer and having a conversation with God. Okay, five words. Having a conversation. And I use the word conversation because prayer is not just a one-way street. I want you all to pray with the expectation that God is going to answer you. Now, occasionally, when I have a prayer on a Sunday morning and I'm having to preach, I get an answer because Neil Livingston sends me an email on a Sunday morning and what he says in that is a point that I have missed so far or something I need to emphasize in my message. He didn't send me one of those this morning, but sometimes he does. Sometimes God speaks to a lovely gentleman in Invercargill about what John should be doing, either at home in Omaru or up here. And that's amazing. God works in those ways. And we need to expect, have faith that God will answer our prayers. We move on, talking and listening to God. But is that all prayer is? I see there's a head, similar colour to mine, going like this. No. So, tell me, what more is it? They were gone silent. Yes. What else? I'm not going to put Mike on the spot. Okay. Thanksgiving. Come on. Action. Yes. So you're lo- locating lost things. Yes, I have to locate lost things up in here nowadays. Mm. Yeah, my filing system's got too great and I've lost control of it. Yeah, I know it's there. God knows where. Mm. Yes. Okay, it's like 
walking into a church where you don't really know people. And now, what was their name? They told me last week. Hmm, help, Lord. And sometimes God helps you in that mysterious way. Someone comes along and says, Heather. And you think, ah, Heather, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you expect answers? I'd like to have a silence button on that, but no. You do. Good. You know, it's important for the people sitting on the other side of the church to know that. It really is. For us to talk about what we expect. In, in about 40 years of ministry, the most powerful thing that I can usually say to people who have problems is, would you like me to pray for you or pray with you? Either of those two. And you will have people who don't want me to minister, don't want any religion out the door. And when you've talked a little while later, can I pray with you? Would you pray with me? Occasionally they'll even remember that they rejected you and what you stand for a few minutes ago. And now they will accept you praying with them. And that opens doors. Doors into their heart. Hmm. Let us move on now. We're going to be looking at our passages of scripture. So I think we can move on from that one. And let us look at how Jesus prayed. So we're going to look at today's passage. Jesus has this amazing prayer, which is chapter 17 of John's Gospel. And it's in three sections. You had first section last week. You get the big bit in the middle from me today. And then, Evan, I think you're doing the next bit, are you? Yeah, I think I'm doing it. Yes, yeah. Someone wants to take off my head. Okay, yes. So this is a prayer. Often they use the word unity, but it's Jesus It's the risen Christ talking about the body of Christ and praying for it. And you have the first five verses, and we start in verse 6 of chapter 17. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It's a fairly recent translation of the Bible, and it gets passionate about God's Word. And... uh, So Jesus, when he's talking about his disciples, he says, Father, what other prayer did he start with that? The Lord's Prayer, our Father. And there that's in the plural. Here it's Jesus talking to his own dad. He could have been saying, Dad. Dad, I have manifested. Oh, well, Father, Father. Better with manifested, doesn't it? Father, I have manifested who you really are and I have revealed you to the men and women that you gave to me. I have shown them what you manifested them. 
I have manifested you to my disciples. I have revealed you to the men and women that you gave me. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have fastened your word firmly to their hearts. Now, have you done that to your heart? I know Jesus is praying for his disciples, but in actual fact, we're all disciples, aren't we? We're making disciples. We're in the business of it. It's so important the church here has stuck it up the front and outside and on the back wall and in your notice bulletins and all the rest. Yes, that's because you're being obedient to what God has asked you to do, to make disciples. And here Jesus is saying, you gave them. This is part of his prayer. He's he's talking to God and he's reminding God. Do you remind God? Yes, good, good, yeah. Yeah, we have his word which says, Lord, you always hear me. He he promises to always hear us, to always answer, to protect us, to do a whole lot of things. And Jesus is here reminding, these disciples were yours and you gave them to me and I've looked after them well. And they have fastened your word firmly to their hearts. And now at last they know that everything I have is a gift from you. Now this in this two verses here um, is the third time there's been something about being given. A gift is given. Hmm. This is part of this prayer. Here Jesus and his whole attitude of giving that's here. And every word you gave me to speak, I have passed on to them. Now, I can't say to any congregation I've ever been the minister of that I have passed on every word that God has given to me. I'm not as good at that as Jesus would like to be and the very word you gave to me to speak I have passed on to them the very words you gave me to speak I have passed on to them we are disciples of Jesus aren't we do you pass on his words Hmm, it's an encouragement. You don't need all that many of them. John 3.16 is a good place to start. That most favourite of all passages. Words that you can pass on to other people. (coughs) They have received your words and carry them in their hearts. Just a few moments ago, they had fastened them firmly to their hearts. Now they are carrying them 
in their hearts. How many of you at some time in the past have felt the presence of God and felt strangely warmed, as some people put it? The warm fuzzies. And you go, wow, that's God. How many? Did you know, you really ought to stand up and look at each other and see all the hands that are up. I'm privileged. Blokes and the girl, no, they're all blokes at the back. Um, No, no, sorry. There's a head arrived. Yeah, and there's a girl over there too. But, you know, we actually see from the front and the back, you see the hands going up. The vast majority. Hmm. Do you know that about this congregation? You're not the only one who has had an encounter with God. So you are carrying God's words in your heart. That's what you're meant to be doing. They are convinced that I have come from your presence and they have fully believed that you sent me to represent you. Hmm. you think of Jesus representing God? Do you think of you representing Jesus? Yeah, because that's what we're called to do, representing. And now this lovely passage in verse 9. So with deep love I pray for my disciples. I am not asking on behalf of the unbelieving world, but for those who belong to you, those you have given me. Now, you probably all expect Mike to pray for you. How many of you pray for Mike? You're looking after him pretty well, actually. Yeah, still got a smile on his face. Yes. But we need to, to let each other know that we care, that we pray for each other. I don't know um, whether you have this problem, but every so often I have um, thoughts drop into my mind in the middle of something. Just then I had a a thought drop into my mind about a friend I worked with um, after I'd left the farm up Kaikoui and we were on our way to Dunedin to go and train for the ministry. And uh, Mike was with us at that stage and he was... uh, little wee preschooler then. Um, yeah. And David, David Miller was his name. I uh, worked with him in a little bit of a contracting business. We ran together and, uh, and studied at Auckland University for a while. And in that, he, uh, he used to do some lay preaching around. And he used to say, I'll only come to the rural parish and preach if there are ten men there to pray with me before the service starts. And that's how he worked. I've never tried that. Um, I don't know whether I haven't got enough courage or whatever, 
But he used to have ten men there. They would make sure, they would ring round and make sure there was ten of them there. It's a very biblical Jewish way of doing things, but he would make sure. And uh, he actually led several of those men that prayed for him to Christ. It was a very productive part. In fact, I think he would basically, David would have said it was the only productive part of his ministry. He never led any of the women in the congregation to Christ, but he did lead lead the men who prayed for him. And the intriguing thing was most of those men came just to make sure that their wife got off their back from saying, you should have been there, we had no minister turn up. Well, he was a lay preacher, but... Anyway, and that just fell into my mind as I was talking. And I have shared that word from God. Holy Father, no, I haven't got that far, have I? Those you've given me. For all who belong to me now belong to you, and all who belong to you now belong to me as well. And my glory is revealed through their surrendered lives. When we surrender our lives to Christ, his glory rises. Jesus carries on. Holy Father, I am about to leave this world to return and be with you, but my disciples will remain here. He's about to leave and he's reminding God, my disciples... Can you hear Christ's heart and concern for his disciples? I'm coming. I'm leaving. But they are here. Things happen in our communities, in our lives. Do you think about the people you live with and work with, who are your extended families, or maybe the people who get up your nose and bother you? They need your prayers. They are here in this world and don't have the same hope that you do. So I ask by the power of your name, protect each one that you have given me and watch over them so that they will be united as one, even as we are one. This is part of this great prayer of Jesus's that is so challenging in the church. He's praying that all his disciples will be as one. And the church has little evidence that we are one, has it? We are fragmented, unfortunately. We all have different interpretations of what we think is important. And here's Jesus, well aware of the problems the church was going to face and he's praying. Protect each one. Just recently, we've had Halloween. Halloween has got rather satanic roots to it. How many of you prayed for the young people and the not-so-young people that were wandering around the town, knocking on doors, trick-or-treating? Yeah, I'm pleased that some hands went up. Yes. You know, they are playing with something very, very dangerous. 
I pray, says Jesus, I ask that by the power of your name, protect each one that they that you have given me and watch over them. This community is given you by God. He's put you here and he's given you this community. And they are the ones you're watching over. Pray for them, just as Jesus has prayed for you, so that they will be united as one, even as we are one. While I was with these that you have given me, I have kept them safe by your name that you have given me. Yes, given and given. See all this giving that Jesus is talking about? Do you see God as giving to you? He does. He he gave you breakfast this morning. Unless you got up so late you had to rush out the door to get here. Yeah. And you'll go home for lunch probably. There's a lot of giving there. While I was with these that you have given me, I have kept them safe by your name that you have given me. Do you use the name of Jesus Christ? Yeah. Bless people with it. Tell them of his love for them. Not one of them is lost except the one who is destined to be lost so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. But now I am returning to you, so Father, I pray that you will, that they will experience and enter into my joyous delight in you, so that it is fulfilled in them and overflows. Joyous delight that overflows. How about wishing that on people? That's what Jesus wished on his disciples. I have given them your message. That is why the unbelieving world hates them, for their allegiance is no longer to this world, because I am not of this world. I'm not asking that you remove them from the world, but I ask that you guard their hearts from evil, for they no longer belong to this world any more than I do. That's Jesus' prayer for you and me too, that our hearts be guarded from evil. We're not going to be taken out of it, just protected from it. That's what we need, isn't it? Your word is truth, so make them holy by the truth. I have commissioned them to represent me just as you commissioned me to represent you. Had a commissioning service? Been commissioned? I don't think the church is very good at commissioning people, are they? We we ordain elders and things like that. But someone was off wandering around Uganda recently, weren't they? Were they commissioned to go and wander around Uganda? Great. That's nice, yes. We were on the other side of Africa for a little while, but anyway. And now I dedicate myself to them as a holy sacrifice so that they will fully live, they will live as fully dedicated to God and be made holy by your truth.
I want to move on now to what I call story time. Must be running out of time, I think. Okay. Moving on to story time, and there's the next one. Prayers. For those of you who struggle to pray, just uh, three days before Jesus' resurrection, he was hanging on a cross. And in Luke's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 42, the reference, there was a thief who said, I deserve to be crucified. And he had a prayer to Jesus. It was basically two words long. Two words. Can you remember what they are? Remember me. Yep. Remember me. And Jesus' response to that, today you will be with me in paradise. Boy, I deserve to be killed for what I've done. And Jesus said, it's all taken care of. Today you will be with me. That is a very, very brief prayer. You can have a shorter one. What's that? Help. Yeah, Ah, sounds like a few of you like me. Familiar with that one? Yes. You don't need to be as wordy as ministers. Brief and to the point. Very powerful. (coughs) Praying in an opera house. Many years ago, back in the uh, 80s, we were in Omaru at that stage, ministering just outside it, and there was a YWAM team there in the opera house. And for some reason, the people in the congregation or the crowd the young people started moving forward before they had got to having the appeal correctly. And so the YWAM band was up the front belting the drums a lot louder than you were even. And there was a lot of noise and suddenly there were people up the front and I was part of the counselling team and so I went and joined them up the front. And I had two girls there with me. Uh, One of them uh, obviously quite distressed and the other one with her arm around her friend. And I gathered she was asking me to pray for her friend. But because of the noise, I couldn't be certain. And they wouldn't be able to hear what I was praying probably. And I thought, the only thing I can do that is sensible is pray in the Spirit. And I did. I have no idea what I said, but I do know that by the time it finished, the girl had repented of her sins, given her life to Christ, and was beaming from ear to ear, and the friend that had come forward with her was burst into tears. (laughs) And... So 
The power of prayer, yes, I prayed, but I haven't got the foggiest notion. But the fruit was there and I had my arms around it and they had their arms around me. And I know I wasn't the only one in the circumstances using English was no point. People couldn't hear. Eventually the band had finished their music and then other people came forward and we were able to talk. So that's an example of praying in tongues and the usefulness of it. Put on the spot. Put on the spot. A few years later, Maureen and I and family were staying with Ralph and Tracy in the North Shore in Auckland and Ralph and I went off down to a college auditorium and somewhere around Takapuna, I don't know which school it was now, and we had a uh, visiting uh, speaker from the States there and she was conducting the meeting. And Ralph and I were sitting right up on the tiered back row of the tiered auditorium and she called Ralph and I forward. Now, she spoke words in people's life and things like that and she also called out people and said, um, you need to repent of this sin or that. And she got quite specific. And several hundred people would, could hear. And I think Ralph and I sort of looked at each other and said, well, we've, we've got to go. We've had the finger pointed at us. So we made our way forward. And probably both of us had prayed, I know I had, um, what's this about, Lord? What's, going, what's she going to reveal? Uh, because none of us are perfect, and uh, got there, and she said, uh, you're to pray for that girl over there. And we walked over to her, and I looked at Ralph, and he looked at me, and he shook his head, and I said, well, I've got one sentence. And I said to her, God says, I'm your father. And she screamed. The whole place just heard it absolutely screamed and collapsed. Stopped her from hitting the floor and pulled her back up to her feet. Sobbing. And her parents came forward and her brother and joined us she was a Jewish girl. Her parents were Jewish. The family, including her brother, had all given their lives to Christ. And the Jewish community in Auckland had put a notice in the Herald saying that they were no longer alive. And they were no longer children of God. And me as a total stranger turns up and says, God says, I'm your father. That was the one thing that the community there had told her. You're no longer a child of God. He's not your father. God had other words. Hmm. Coming forward, I prayed about myself mainly. 
and I get there and it's totally to do with someone else. Ask God. At Christmas time, my wife gave me a new Bible. My old one had worn out on the back, was falling apart and the cover was coming off and she gave me a lovely new Bible for Christmas. And uh, that was fine, except it's it's got larger print, which has been kind of helpful. All the pages are stuck together. It's terrible. You get up the front, you open your Bible and, oh, it's hard enough to get to the right book of the Bible, let alone get to the right page that I'm looking for. And I muttered about it and I prayed to God about it. I said, I don't really want to sit there and go through and loosen every page. Do you know what God said to me? This is a two-way conversation when you ask, say something to God. He was very logical about it. He said, read it. So I've just about finished Leviticus and I started in the New Testament and the last word, last are the five books at the end of the Bible, at the beginning of the Bible. Anyone know what they're called? Hmm? Yeah. The Pentateuch, yes. Hmm. The Pentateuch, yes. So I'm in Leviticus, so I don't have much more to go, and I will have done the whole Bible before Christmas. Yes. But, read it. Now we're going to have a testimony. It's a little video from a bloke, Sid Roth, which will have a brief prayer in it and see the consequences. Encourage other people to pray. Encourage them. Be encouraged and encourage them. So if we can have the video go. and That opened up a door that I wanted to close that I didn't know who to go to to close it. My parents, they'd send me to a rabbi. A rabbi couldn't help. Rabbi, I'm hearing voices. There's a demon inside. You know what he'd do? He'd send me to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist, when you were in a sugar like that, they didn't know what to do. So they would give you electric shock treatment. And then you'd really be a sugar. And I'm a Jew, so I'm not going to go to a, a priest or something. Death looked better to me than life. I was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home. I went to the synagogue uh, faithfully until I was bar mitzvah, and I couldn't wait to get out of the synagogue, but I did go on the high holidays with my parents. If you said to me, did I believe in God? I would have said, I guess as a Jew, I'm supposed to say yes, but I don't know. And I quickly learned that I could be happy if I made a million dollars. had a degree from a major uh, university in the United States. I had a job with the largest stock brokerage firm in the world at that time. So I did something I'm not proud of. I left my job. I left my wife. I left my daughter. And I got involved in what was called a New Age meditation course. I was told that they would teach me how to know things that were not programmed in my brain And then I thought, well, if I could know this uh, information from the invisible world, then I could know what stocks are going to go up. Then 
I could make a million dollars in the market, then I could be happy. So I took this course and I actually didn't think it would work. They told me how to mentally slow down my brain waves through mental exercise. And then when I'm in a passive, almost a hypnotic state, I could invite an imaginary friend into my head. And this imaginary friend would give me information that had been never programmed into my brain. So I went along with it. I'll tell you between you and me why I went along with it. They said they'd give me my money back if it didn't work. So I figured I'd, I'd do everything they said. I knew it wasn't going to work, but it did. And I knew things that had not been programmed in my mind. And I thought, oh, I'm now going to be happy. And the power actually started growing. And then uh, I got involved in something called astral projection. That's where your spirit leaves your body. But then I found out once your spirit leaves your body, every night that you go to sleep, your spirit goes for a spirit walk. What if it, my spirit left my body and didn't make it back in time? I'd be buried alive. And I have to tell you, I was so fearful that I couldn't even sleep. And I was convinced that what was inside of me was evil. It was actually a demon. I have tasted the power of the dark side of the demonic world. And contrary to popular opinion, it's not fake. There are genuine supernatural things that are miraculous. Death looked better to me than life. Life was too hard. I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't looking for religion. I was just looking to go back to the way I was. I'd opened up a door that I wanted to close, and I didn't know how to close it, and I didn't know who to go to to close it. For instance, my parents would give their life for me, but they couldn't help me. They'd send me to a rabbi. A rabbi couldn't help get, rabbi, I'm hearing voices. There's a demon inside. You know what he'd do? He'd send me to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist, when you were in sugar like that, they didn't know what to do. So they would give you electric shock treatment, and then you'd really be sugar. And I'm a Jew, so I'm not going to go to a, a priest or something. I knew there was nowhere I could go. I was told there was a greater power than that devil that was pulling me under, that demon inside of me. And that power was the name of Jesus. Did I believe in him? No. But did I have nowhere else to go? I had nowhere else to go. And at that time, I'd been given a Bible by these Christian businessmen. We Jews have nothing to do with the New Testament. We Jews have nothing to do with the church. You know, when you're sinking in the middle of the ocean, you don't care who throws you a rope. In desperation, I prayed a two-word prayer. Jesus, help. I really didn't want to wake up. Life was too difficult. Well, I did wake up the next morning. And I couldn't believe what happened. That demonic thing that was inside of me, it was gone. Totally gone. And replaced with the greatest peace and love a human could have. I could not be afraid and fearful if you gave me a million dollars. 
because this love conquered all of my fear. It was a love that I had never, never experienced, I'd never felt before. And I returned to my wife and daughter, and my marriage was restored. And I can tell you that Joy and I have celebrated our 53rd wedding anniversary. My dad was angry with me the entire time that I became a believer, all of those years. You can't be two things. You can't be Jewish and a believer in Jesus. He wanted nothing to do with Christians, and he was really ashamed that his son was a public believer in the Messiah. My mother observed how my marriage was restored, how I became a good husband, a good father, a good provider. And she said, you know, I don't believe in this Yeshua, but Yeshua made my son a mensch. That means a good human being. I discussed with her why I believed in Yeshua. And one day she said a prayer to know the Messiah. And then when my mom died, my father asked the most important question he could ask me. He said, Sid, will you go to the synagogue for almost a year with me and say Kaddish for your mother? And just as I was going to say, no, Dad, I don't have time, I heard the voice of God, and I felt God said, yes, tell him yes. And you know, I went with my father every day to the minion, and I said the Kaddish, and I put on the tefillin, one day, my father said, because I was being such a good son in his mind, do you still believe in him? And I said, yes, Dad, I do. I believe the blood of Yeshua washes away my mistakes, and I am clean. I opened up a Tanakh, and I read the 53rd chapter of Isaiah to him. It says, we Jewish people reject him. But he won't die for his own sins. He'll die for our sins. And by his stripes, by the blood that'll flow from him, we will be healed. My dad said, stop. You're reading from a Christian Bible. You're talking about that man. And I thought to myself, isn't that amazing? I am reading from a Jewish Bible, and he thinks I'm talking about Yeshua. I tell you, God is wonderful. He restored my life. He restored my family. My entire mishpocha came to know the Messiah. I owe everything to Yeshua. And I'm one grateful Jewish man. Believe in the power of a two-word prayer? Utter transformation, isn't it? I'm going to finish at that point. Hand back to Evan. What a fantastic testimony. Did you enjoy that? So as we come to the Lord's table, um, (laughs) 
that's kind of taken my breath away of what I was going to share. But, but as we come to the Lord's table, I would and um, eat and drink together. One of the things that the Lord Jesus was sharing this Passover meal with his disciples and um, one of the things was was it was reflecting back to the Passover meal that they had way back when the um, Israelites were in bondage in Egypt. And the meal got turned upside down, I think, a wee bit. And as they were set free from slavery, slavery to freedom, in a sense, Jesus took this meal and is doing the same for us. But it's not in a physical way, it is in a spiritual way. So on that night, he shared this meal with his disciples. It was the Passover meal. And as they did in Passover, he took some bread. He broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat and remember me. At the end of the meal, he took a cup of wine. He blessed it and said, this is my blood shed for you, shed for many. Drink and remember me. So every time we share this meal together, that's not a good look. Every time we share this meal, we there's something spiritual going on. We remember what Jesus has done for us. We remember the sacrifice that he made. We remember that, in a sense, he's taken us like, is it Job? Sid? From a place of darkness, a place of slavery to freedom. Let us pray together. I just thank you, Lord, for that testimony we watch of sin. That in a sense, that you want us to be in that place where we have that relationship with you. I just thank you for what you did on the cross. I thank you that what these elements represent to each of us, that as we share this meal together, that you'll come in and hear our prayers. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.